0: listening
1: to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from BIV and BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today's show focuses on real estate. We'll go over the latest regional data and how the industry is marketing housing products in a market that's been cooling down. There's some interesting trends to keep track of. First, a few events to talk about. On Wednesday this week, we host our annual Women in Business panel as part of our Business Excellence series. We have three phenomenal speakers who will talk all about leadership, developing your voice, and how to rise through the ranks at work. There are a few tickets left, so you can go to biv.com slash events to find out more. The event takes place at the Vancouver Club from 3.30 to 6 p.m. Next week, you can join us as we celebrate standout technology leadership and breakthrough innovation at the inaugural BCCTO Awards. The program honors chief information officers, chief technology officers, and others in top IT professional positions across the province. This year's six award recipients were profiled recently in BIV. Their stories can all be read online at biv.com. You can also hear from them directly as they speak at our Gala Awards Luncheon on September 18th at the Fairmont Waterfront. While America remains Canada's largest trading partner, the partnership can be fraught, as we know, with uncertainty, with tension, tariffs, and legal challenges. For many businesses, this environment is difficult to navigate, so on October 2nd, BIV will host experts who can offer insight into navigating the United States for business. The discussion will examine best practices to optimize opportunity in times of geopolitical challenge. It will also help businesses steer away from the difficult straits. And finally, Canada's first year of legalized cannabis has seen significant industrial development and investment. We've also seen a range of regulations imposed around consumer outlets, we've seen a supply shortage, and a persistent black market that complicates the landscape. So what have we learned? What lessons can be applied to the next stage of legalization? On October 9th, the BIV's Cannabis One Year On Panel examines industry opportunities, challenges, and of course, next steps. For this and all of our other events, visit BIV.com slash events. A couple of weeks ago, Jason Turcott, Vice President of Development at Cressy Development Group, joined the show to talk about the fall forecast for Greater Vancouver real estate. And we also talked about how the August numbers would maybe provide greater clarity on what's happening in the market. Well, we have them now, and we also have Jason on the line. As always, Jason, thanks for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me on this soggy Monday.
1: <laughs> I know Falls here. Summer's gone. <laughs> We're all a little sad.
2: Yeah, I sent my youngest one off to kindergarten this morning, so I wanted to do drop off and, and uh, uh, got a little wet.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, fair enough. Yeah, back to school and back to business. Well, let's dive into what's happening in the market a little bit. We chatted a couple of weeks ago about what maybe the industry is expecting to see in August, but we can never be 100% sure. Are the numbers that came out in line with expectations?
2: Well, based on what I was hearing you know, kind of early in the month, mid-month, we knew it was going to be a much better August than what we had seen the year before, and and uh, even what we had seen in in some of the months leading up uh, to to the drastic improvement that we saw in July. So, not surprised that it was a much better year than last year. Um, I was thinking actually it was going to be a little stronger than it was, but I would say all in all, a very a very good um, a good month of August. A month of August traditionally is, is slower than July, so the fact that we uh, we saw the pace of sales slow a little bit. We also saw the, um, the number of listings uh, slow down quite a bit too or, or pull back quite a bit too. So um, I would say all in all, uh, kind of in line with what I thought. I thought the overall numbers maybe were, were a hair lower than I might have expected, uh, but uh, nonetheless good.
1: So still maybe a little bit of hesitancy in the market, although that could be seasonal, as you pointed out. Is it fair to call this still a, a period of transition or normalization?
2: I think so. I do. I do think, though, that uh, the month of September is is, is going to be a, a real important one to decide the direction we're heading in. And uh, it's traditionally a much more active month. And um, and all, also, we traditionally see the number of listings uh, increase dramatically from August into uh, September. And when I did see those numbers through the summer, July and and you know into August, uh, where, where sales seemed to be happening quite briskly. My 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 fear or my or my concern was that um, you know uh, sellers who had been sitting on the sideline also would would see those numbers and think that uh, this might be a good time to jump back in, having maybe held off uh, through the the slower part of the market in the winter and spring, uh, and then not wanting to list in the dead of summer uh, that we might see a pretty good spike in listings in September. We usually do, but maybe abnormally so this September. So I would be uh, on the lookout for that um, uh, when the September stats come out, do we see a sharp increase in the number of listings? Which I suspect we very well could, which might mean it's a great time for buyers to to get out there and buy.
1: Throughout this year, depending on the month, we've continued to see inventory levels really increase, and it's been a challenge for certain people to sell certain kinds of products in certain areas. At perhaps the price that they'd like to get for it, uh, how would you characterize where inventory levels are at this point in time?
2: It's a total mixed bag. I mean, it, it's it's it, in some parts of the market it's very low, uh, and, and again we've talked about this. That tends to be in the more uh, price point oriented marketplaces um, in in the product types and you know townhomes and. Uh, um, uh, even wood frame apartment buildings. Certainly, as you go eastward into into Surrey and Langley, and uh, you know areas like Port Um, you know I'm hearing that absorptions and and the amount of of inventory available is actually quite low. Um, you know, but if you want to buy a four million dollar home in West Vancouver, there's there's certainly uh, a plethora of those to choose from right now. So it it really depends where you are and um, uh, you know, and, and the amount of uh, product available in the tools markets is, is varied uh, depending on price point primarily.
1: Mm -hmm. And when we dig into the sales to active listings ratios for those different products around 12% in the region for detached homes, which is when if it's below that for a sustained period, you start to see downward pressure on price. And then at the other end of the spectrum for apartments above that threshold where you start to see upward pressure. What are we seeing for price points? Are we seeing upward pressure for condos and downward pressure on detached homes?
2: Yeah, I I you know, that's the general trend. I mean again, you have to get a little bit more fine grained into which neighborhoods you're in, but on a whole, um, you know, it, it seems to me like if you're looking at it holistically, we're we're dealing with a pretty balanced market, which is a good thing. You know, I mean, you know, you don't wanna to put too much uh stock in, in one month. And again, I do expect that we're gonna see the number of listings shoot up here in September. Um but not so much that we're looking at a, a you know a, a massive glut of inventory, because I do think that we're going to continue to see reasonably good sales uh, volumes, which should, uh, I would predict, keep us in sort of a balanced marketplace across the various asset types.
1: Looking ahead at what's happening this fall, we have a federal election where housing policies might factor into that. We also have additional rate decisions from the Bank of Canada, and there's some expectation that we might see a decrease when you look at the market and what could maybe cause some disruption or impact what's going on locally, what are you looking to? What, what are you going to be watching in the months ahead?
2: Well, the, uh, with the election, I think that there's a few, um, a few key things that could present themselves that would have an impact on what's happening in the market. Um, I'm looking for uh, something with respect to GST. Um, I, I think that there's a, Uh, An overdue adjustment needed to the to the new home buyer uh, rebate on GST. Uh, Our home buyers have been paying GST with with a prorated new home new home uh, rebate that has not been adjusted in many many years and is frankly grossly out of date. I I see that as being an obvious one. Maybe less obvious is 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 some uh, uh, GST relief on new rental housing, which of course doesn't necessarily have a direct impact on the voters, which is why I'm. Not as I'm not holding my breath on that one as much. Will that adjustment be made? Maybe at some point, but is it an election issue that's likely to garner uh, a lot of attention? Probably not. Um, and then, as far as the rate adjustments go, I, I think that that's a real concern. Um, you know, the Bank of Canada, obviously, um, economic activity is uh, is not you know it's not lighting anything on fire here. We we were we're struggling to maintain our inflation targets. However, um, they have a really uh, delicate task of managing, um, you know, consumer debt um, with that with that economic growth. And I, I think there's there's going to be a resistance to to cutting rates too quickly because um, that does tend to lead to people taking on more debt. And I think that the, the bank, government, the, the government, and the mega Canada are both very concerned about uh, the amount of debt that we're all carrying. And um, certainly, we want to manage that with. Uh, with the economy as well. So that's going to be an interesting one to pay attention to.
1: Mm -hmm. We've spoken before about developments potentially going offline just because of the bureaucracy they had to deal with, because the economics don't work, whatever the issue may be. And it's been interesting to watch who makes those decisions and how it impacts the availability of future supply. What do you think it would take to maybe see more developments hit the market. What are you looking for in terms of policies? Or are you looking for a change just in the economics of the landscape and the greater economy? What what might come along that might change sort of developers what they're looking at and how they're making decisions?
2: Well, there's it's not. I don't think there's going to be any 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 um, you know wave of a magic wand that's all of a sudden going to make projects viable again in some cases and in some areas again this is very uh, you know regionally sensitive um you know to take the the, let's say the west side of vancouver as an example um you know when we look at our our the viability of a project there's very few inputs into into those pro formas that we have any control over right you know whether it be municipal fees or or uh, construction costs to a degree are very those are inflexible numbers you know so where the values tend to Adjust are on the revenue side and on on the land input cost. Um, And what we've seen happen on the on the adjustment of the revenue side, meaning what we what we sell condos for, has been a you know it has pulled back. Um, we we had some very historic highs, and so the amount of adjustment necessary to make that that project viable again in terms of what the, the the residual value of that land is is so significant um, that that people who bought at the peak are simply not going to be able to make their performance work, and anybody who might be looking to buy now is going to be facing uh, expectations of land landowners vendors that continue to be unreasonable because their neighbor sold at X dollars and they simply you know aren't willing to. To sell at what often cases might be half as much, because it simply is the only number that we have a lot of ability to adjust because construction costs continue to be sky high. Um, what could government policy do about construction costs? Um, I, I think at this point the only thing they could do is just stop, stop implementing new change. I think that we have seen so much change in how we put together buildings um, over the last 10 years, more so than I think any period, and I would say even maybe less than that, it might even be five years. More so than any period that I've, I've heard of or experienced myself. And that has put a ton of pressure on, on, on our ability to deliver affordable housing because uh, these buildings are complex. The systems are complex. They're now needing to be, um, you know, almost world leading in terms of their, their greenhouse gas emissions and energy efficiency, which are all great things, but they do come with a price tag. Uh, and I don't see those getting unravelled, but I think at the minimum, what we need to see is a bit of a freeze on uh, adding input costs to new housing. It's 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 really hurting our ability to adjust to the marketplace and will constrain supply moving forward.
1: Jason, as always, great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. That's Jason Turcott, Vice President of Development at Cressy Development Group. When the market was red hot, it really took a Vancouver postal code and very little else it seemed to sell a property. But the market shifted, as we know, and pre-sale developments are staying on the market longer. They're not instantly sold out. Inventory in certain corners of the region also sitting on the market for longer. So what does that mean for developers and those in the industry who are continuing to try and sell their products? Well, Maxine Jakubke is a business director in the real estate division of TalkShop Media. She joins me now to discuss how an industry that is coming off record high sales and prices is marketing its products. Maxine, good to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You work with a number of developers and companies tied to real estate. Yeah. What kinds of conversations were you having, if we go back, pre some of the craziness we saw in the market? What was the conventional marketing strategy, let's say, five years ago?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, what we do is we support a lot of marketing um, teams in-house in development firms and also with external partners um, to come up with unique strategies for public relations. And so that used to be something that looked a little bit more traditional in um, earned media coverage. And now it's, it's just totally pivoted. There's a high demand for creativity that might be, um, you know, events or influence relations or social media. But You know, uh, three years ago, the conversation was strictly traditional media relations. And now we're pivoting and being more creative in our approach.
1: And it was, as I mentioned a little bit ago, (laughs) there were projects on the market for a very short amount of time. You almost didn't really need a creative strategy. You could just say, we're selling this and it would sell out. Did you see companies maybe forego some of their traditional marketing spend because they didn't really need to get creative? Yeah, I think I think so. I definitely
0: noticed that. And you know, to your point, you know, we've had like a burst of construction in the past ten years, especially in the last five. And you know, a year ago we were seeing a lot of inventory in the market, especially luxury, you know, million, multi-million dollar properties that need to sell. And so the demand definitely has increased for us to be more creative in our approach. And something that's really exciting about creative thinking is, is Talk Shop, at Bracey said, every Friday we have a company-wide um, creative brainstorm session. And so for us, it's really been a great tool because our clients in real estate have definitely demanded it. So, in order to meet their needs, we've definitely had to put on our um, thinking caps and sharpen our pencils. And I think that goes for most marketing firms um, and partners in the industry. This is the year we got to sharpen our pencil.
1: Interesting. So, when you say creative, how creative are we talking? What are some of the examples that are out there?
0: Okay, so it's kind of fun. So one of my friends in New York City, I kinda of wanna talk a bit about what we're seeing, not just in Vancouver, but in North America, because I feel like this will be the norm in Vancouver in the next couple of years, but and we're already starting to see it definitely from our clients. But for example, in New York, one of my friends who works at a brokerage firm, they for they forwent the, the the conventional cocktail reception at the open house and instead partnered with a really trendy, cool meditation studio and, and hosted meditation classes in an effort to sort of bring in potential agents or buyers to the property. Um, you know, in Los Angeles, we're seeing really cool uh, workshops, like creative creative sessions for agents to bring their clients to. You know, Condo Essentials was one that was really popular with the project down there. But generally speaking, what I find really interesting is, the, like even just in the past 12 months, we've had such an uptick of um, – Influencer relations campaign requests, and so it's sort of ripping off the fashion industry, where you know um, a brand might give a, a blogger an item, and they're encouraged to post about it and talk about a store opening. Same kind of thing in real estate. We're seeing huge interest in influencer relations, and so providing um, you know a mega or micro influencer with a product, being it a you know condo penthouse or or townhome. And providing them with this unique opportunity to capture beautiful content, something that's really appealing to the blogger, but then also the developer gets to tap into an unreached audience. Um, This type of initiative, if done well and done in large scale, can be super successful. Um, A project that I've been really excited about is the Hudson Yards in New York. They did this similar program with the launch of one of their residential offerings. 15, you know, massive influencers were invited to this beautiful event. Within like 24 hours, I think they they secured over uh, 5,000 Instagram followers, which generated over like, 5 million views of this product. So, if done right, this can have a huge
1: impact on a project. That's really interesting. I'm curious know, though, yeah. if you have an amazing penthouse space and you have a successful popular influencer in it, is there overlap between the people who follow that influencer and are interested in what they're doing? And the people who could reasonably afford to buy that product, because you're talking about millions of views, and I'm sure, you know, I'd love a penthouse too and I'd be interested in that content. Yeah. Are the buyers paying attention to that too? What have you found in terms of the success in terms of the reach of influencers?
0: Yeah, I think it's sort of there's sort of two objectives there. One is just general brand awareness and awareness of a project. And an influencer or a collection of influencers can do just that. You know, they they generate collectively this amazing well of interest around a project brand or um, developer and so with that you know yes the scale can be great but what we're also seeing is an appetite for more intimate gatherings um to your point like some of these buyers of multi-million you know seven, seven, seven to twenty million dollar projects probably aren't going to come straight from the influencer but it's going to be the conversation that comes with all the outreach and um visuals that come with that so i think it just supports with the overall strategy to create this interest in a market that's got so many beautiful products um available
1: yeah and i guess there's there's something to to the cachet of buying that property seen around the world that might be appealing to some buyers as well
0: yeah and it's definitely a delicate dance that we we definitely have to follow um for example, some projects, it's not it's not strategic to incorporate um, a lot of influencer relations into it. It's a very ultra-luxury product that the end buyer probably doesn't want their their private personal home blasted on social media. But for some projects, it really does hit the mark. And I think it's just been a great um, uh, thing that we can exercise in the strategy, you know, it's a good tool to exercise. So it's something that we definitely incorporate. And we're seeing a lot of... Um, uh, requests from our clients asking for those. Mm-hmm. One thing also to note is it's really interesting is um, is that most, most buyers now actually look on social media first prior to looking at the website. So more of a younger buyer is looking online at social media channels before they even click on the builder's website. So social media has definitely become something that's of strong interest to our clients and actually imperative to have um, in today's real estate market. Interesting. Going
1: back to that idea of the meditation classes and workshops and buildings, which is really interesting, is that also used in part as a strategy to engage the community? So not necessarily buyers, maybe some potential buyers, but also individuals who perhaps didn't want to see a big development. It's a way to bring them in and say, hey, we're your new neighbors. This is what we're doing. Because we've seen so much of that NIMBYism in Vancouver. It seems like this might Mm -hmm. be a strategy that's aimed not just at attracting buyers, but also at engaging the broader community.
0: Yeah, you're so right, and this is definitely something that we've been working with a lot of our clients do over the summer and the past year. So, for example, um, I think when you look back three years ago, you know, putting a big big sign up on your your um, construction site was kind of enough. But right now, it's it's. It's imperative um, that you, you have a presence in the community in a really authentic way. Panache Group, for example, um, we support them with developing a really beautiful summer cinema series. Um, they, they secured interest from attendees on site that, that went to the booth in, in, in droves trying to understand more about the project. And then again, you know, the days following these different pop up sort of su- summer cinema series events, uh, the presentation center definitely saw an uptick in, in uh, foot traffic. We also supported one of our clients With a après ski themed event, Um, this this generated um, so much interest in the media. We I think we secured over about thirty pieces of media coverage, which equated to just about ten home sales, which is really exciting because Mm -hmm. that just goes to show that. Something interesting, like a really fun community-focused event, has the ability to capture the media, but also at the end of the day, sell homes, which is what we're trying to do, right? In these strategies, um, we were also invi- you know invited to partake in a few unique um, sales incentive programs, and I'm sure you've heard of a few that have been buzzing around, but. Whether it's um, avocado on toast or, you know, GSD folded in or a really amazing designer discount or you get a free product like a speaker upgrade with the sale. This is definitely something that's become the norm um, and something that we're definitely partaking in a lot of. And so I think that's something that's also interesting. But to bring it back to the community, I think, you know, Aragon Properties, for example, later this month is hosting a Wolfstock Dog Festival in Port mm-hmm. Royal Park. Um, so it's just, it's funny, like you know, it can be it can be super creative, but at the same time, it's gonna attract um, it's gonna attract the community. But this also gives the developer a chance to get feedback, ask the community, like, "Hey, do you like this product? Do you want something different? Are we hitting the mark?" And so, not only is it about generating community, but it's also a really great chance for developers to get in there and um, understand what their potential buyers are looking for. Hmm.
1: Not that an incentive would make or break a deal per se, but I'm curious too, in an area where we talk so much about affordability, do Mm -hmm. you find buyers maybe engaging a little more actively if there is some kind of incentive on the table? They're either going to get a deal on groceries for a year or gas, or they'll get a bonus somehow wrapped into the purchase of a home?
0: I think it's become almost expected. Not required, but expected. And I think what we're finding is most of our developers are really, you know, using this in their strategies. Um, It's something that is definitely being effective. And I know that, you know, just speaking earlier about our experience of just being in in sales centers, this is definitely something that a lot of buyers um, almost demand
1: um, in today's market. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges about marketing a product in Greater Vancouver at this point in time in the market?
0: Yeah, and this is where, again, like w- with Talkshop, we support marketing agencies um, and also our developers with um, internal marketing groups. And so we're sort of a piece of the puzzle. But what I find most challenging, and it sort of sounds pretty straightforward, but it's just the most challenging thing in today's market is you got to stand out. There's so much product, there's so much um, variety that it's really imperative that you put forward something that's. Um, high quality, you know, great design, but also something that's got a unique twist to it, right? Whether it be a Zen rooftop garden or, you know, additional parking spots in the front for Ubers that are coming, like just really thinking outside the box, I think is what's definitely resonating and standing out, especially when we're reaching out to media, you know, for earned media coverage, which is what what we do here. And uh, yeah, it's just really important to be creative.
1: Maxine, a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Okay, talk to you guys soon. That's Maxine Jakubke. She's a business director in the real estate division of TalkShop Media.